You're listening to Forum, a podcast brought to you by SHAPS, the School of Historical and Philosophical Studies at the University of Melbourne, Australia. I'm Henry Rees, and today I'm delighted to be talking with Dr. Julia Hurst, the newly appointed lecturer in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander History in the School of Historical and Philosophical Studies at the University of Melbourne. So the school has this to say about Julia. Dr. Hurst's appointment reflects the strong desire in the history program to offer students the opportunity to study subjects in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history taught by an Indigenous historian, to diversify the approaches and methodologies taught and used by historians in the history program, and to better reflect the history of our region. Dr. Hurst will commence teaching Indigenous history next year in the existing subject, Global Histories of Indigenous Activism, and the new subject, Introduction to Indigenous History. So it's fantastic to be meeting Julia Hurst today, and I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about Julia and her work. Hi, Julia. How are you going? Hi, Henry. I'm well, thank you. Fantastic. So how would you describe your journey thus far as a scholar? What drew you to conducting history research? (laughs) Um, Well, I think my journey, first of all, I would probably describe in one word as being interrupted. I don't think I, um, I say this sometimes and folks might be a little bit perplexed, but I never really set out to be a historian, I don't think. I just found myself here, which is so fantastic and I love that. And I found that my journey has kind of been pretty entangled and has crossed a number of different fields. <laughs> I think what has always been with me has been my personal history. And so that has always um, informed kind of what I do. My history has grown as I've grown, you know, as a young girl into adolescence and becoming an adult. And I think really the first thing that kind of piqued my interest in history and I, I, I kind of use, I use storytelling to describe kind of history. Um, the first instance where my, my imagination was kind of piqued by history was when I was mentored by a young, um, a woman who um, worked with young people to tell young people's stories down in Geelong and her name was Dr Leanne Rowe. And she drew a group of young Aboriginal girls from Geelong together to start telling stories and histories of our life as young people. And the kind of project was about telling young people's history for young people. And that was the first moment, I think, where I kind of delved into storytelling and history making in a way and it was to do with my personal history and also my mum's history as well. My mum was born in secret down in Melbourne away from her family and she was a child who was part of the stolen generations and of forced removal and um, silent adoption. So she didn't have any documentation of her existence basically and her birth mother had kept the her my mum's birth secret from the rest of her family and it wasn't until um 
LinkUp, which is an organisation which links families together, Aboriginal families together, um, became, got a little bit of publicity and began, began connecting families up after the Bringing Them Home report about the stolen generations that my mother's birth mother decided to get in contact with her and, and wanted to find her again. And eventually she did do that, um, not via link up, but via the following the um, paper trail of her birth, of my mother's birth, and um, reconnected with my mum and told her that the family has Aboriginal heritage and it's a massive family and um, then everyone connected up again and I guess when that happened I was a very little girl so I for me I'd always grown up knowing who my mum's mum is and kind of we were doing that job of reconnecting together for history and so I guess the really interesting thing is that from that moment, history has always been with me, I think. And from there, I went into, um, from doing that project as a young woman in Geelong, I went into doing um, my arts degree at Melbourne Uni, which was great. And I, did, I, I didn't do history. I did Indigenous Studies and Development Studies. I wanted to do, I always imagined myself as being, you know, one of those people who work outside um, mm. or doing, uh, like a doing something rather than a sitting. I know you do study. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like doing um, and, and then from then on, I, that was really fantastic. I did, and I finished that and kind of was starting to get really interested in, like, ideas of place and the city via my kind of development major. And I decided to enrol in urban planning in the School of Architecture. And that was eye-opening at the time because the reason why I was interested in doing urban planning was because I, I was interested in Aboriginal heritage in the city and really at the time when I was completing my degree, there wasn't space for that type of work to be happening. And so when I finished, I was kind of an, a little bit lost in terms of how I fitted in to you know, urban planning with the development and an Indigenous studies background. And um, no one really knew what to do with me, <laughs> which, <laughs> which was really, you know, kind of interesting in a way and forced me to go back to storytelling. So I mm. ended up kind of following my passion, which mm. was um, working in the theatre and I was really lucky to be mentored by um, local Aboriginal playwrights and directors and actors to start to work in theatre um, and to direct the shows. And, um, and I loved that. And I did that for a couple of years. And then it, it came to be kind of a fork in the road because I could either keep doing that and keep working at David Jones, which I hated, <laughs> or, or follow a different path. And I can remember sitting in a North Melbourne 
um, cafe with my mum with tears streaming down my mm. face as my mum was like, Jules, you've got to get a job. And I was just like, oh, my God, what am I, you know, I don't want to. I just want to do my passion and I just want to work in the theatre. And um, as I was doing that, as I was, like, bawling my eyes out and my mum was kind of, you know, gently trying to be the stern mama, responsible <laughs> mama, um, I was, I was, you know, scrolling through Seek and in the search bar I'd put out place. I, for some reason I searched place. Who the hell searches for place <laughs> for a job, you know, for looking for a job? I think I said Indigenous and place or something. Oh, and yeah. up, up, up popped the uh, ARC linkage project for Professor Anne McGrath and Peter Reed mm. at the ANU, which was mm. Steve Industries of Place. And the application was due that night. Right. Um, so, so I zipped home, whipped out my laptop and quickly applied by the deadline and got in. And so that's kind of my weird story. Like through that story, I've I've worked in kind of social and cultural planning and things like that, which is also about people talking about place and how we manage place and imagine place and develop place and things like that. But I really feel like in some ways that was just meant to be because it was such a random, odd um, discovery at a time when I was really kind of looking for something to do and something to guide me. So I did, um, I worked on that ARC with Peter Reed as we looked at histories of places in Sydney and New South Wales. And then I've kind of gradually, we moved back down to um, Melbourne from Canberra and kind of just started the journey to finish the PhD. Um, we had a couple of kids in, in that time and begin kind of making my way to Melbourne Uni, which was, you know, a wonderful return. It was so odd walking down <laughs> the corridors and the pathways and you know when I first arrived as the you know faculty of arts indigenous postgrad scholar I found myself at the John Medley building and I I was like oh my god I hate this building I used to get lost in this building I could never find my way to the right shoot door or the right shoot meeting or whatever in my whole time of being at Melbourne Uni and I thought, how is it that I have arrived back here? I do not know. But um, the, funny, yeah, the funniest thing was kind of finding myself back here at Melbourne Uni at a place that I have found quite intimidating as an undergrad and, and then and realising you're not an undergrad anymore. Mm. So, yeah, does that yeah. help? Absolutely. Look, thank you so much for sharing that, Julia. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant to hear about the amount of, yeah, the amount of kind of different experiences and influences that have sort of affected your yes. your trajectory. Oh, wow. I guess as well. Yeah, and I love these kind of commonalities here of sort of you know an interest in place of like performance and and kind yeah. of witnessing and testimony. How there's some amazing through lines I think here as well about your career so far. 
Yeah, I yeah, I think so. Sometimes I think it's all totally disconnected. But when when you say that, it's there's obviously heaps of connections and <laughs> yeah. you know, layers. I like to think that there's layers, lots of layers going on. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I kind of also I think it's something that's quite common to a lot of folks working in in academia that there's sort of longer trajectories, you know, these longer kind of experiences that might take a few years and then kind of moments of like serendipity or sort of sudden changes, maybe like you finding, finding this role yeah. at ANU. And I like that kind of lumpy, lumpy sort of trajectory that, that sort of yeah. happens in this space. Totally, totally, yeah. yeah. So would you like to give us a quick rundown on some of the projects that you're currently working on as well? So I've just finished working with Sarah Madison on a Treaty in the City project, which was um, working with Wurundjeri tribe to help facilitate treaty working groups or like yarning circles. And that was really fantastic and I, I feel deeply important work. Because the treaty process is happening at the moment in Victoria, and there's a lot of local people who don't know what's happening and find it difficult to follow the politics, the policy mm. and the history about treaty um, in Australia, which is hugely problematic because treaty is such a massive word that we have used to describe, you know, social justice and sovereignty and all sorts of other things, you know, fill that basket. But when push comes to shove, the treaty that is most important and that impacts on most people is something that needs to be understood. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's something that we really need to be mindful of when we talk about history and truth and the impact mm. of ongoing colonisation on how people have access to knowledge to support their mm. futures. Then we, I've been working with Peter Reed on a project called Seven Years On, which is about recording Aboriginal people's history every seven years. So that's kind of a take on the 7-Up History um, Project. And it's been going on for 21 years or so with the National Library. And that's um, super fun to do. I interview with Peter Reid. He originally was um, interviewing with Jackie Huggins, but she's very busy Mm -hmm. and um, had to step away from her role. So it's very funny um, interviewing with Peter and our kind of different viewpoints. So it's kind of yeah. hilarious. He's an older man and I'm a kind of younger, youngish, maybe middle-aged <laughs> woman. And so we come at our history question and our oral history questions from completely different points of view and have a bit of a laugh along the way, which is good. And I'm currently trying to turn my PhD into a book, which is traumatic. (laughs) 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 Um, You know, you have to go back and read all those words that were highly thought over and, you know, (laughs) cried over. 
and that will be great. So I'm still working with the traditional owners, Gundankara and Darug Mob, to make sure that my history can be returned or that their history that I have created can be returned safely to Mob. Um, and as well as that, just teaching, learning how to lecture, learning how to use Zoom, you know, learning the juggle yeah. of real life academia. Oh, that's, that's a lot on your plate, Julia, but all of those <laughs> are such, fa- such fantastic projects and things to be working on. And yeah, it's nice to be busy. Um, yeah. Sometimes it means that, you know, everything's in flux and chaos, but eventually they land. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice, that's a nice way to think about it. Yeah. I, 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 love, I love, I feel like there's a focus in a lot of your research about sort of bringing histories that are still very urgent and still very alive kind of out of the academy and back to community and back to, back to people. And I feel like performance and storytelling has such a strong focus there. There's, yeah, there's definitely an ethics to creating history that I am very much aware of. And, I mean, that's, that means that I'm slow in, in finishing and creating work, but with storytelling and recording histories, the relationships and the history never, ever ends. People are always getting in contact to query things, ask questions, ask for, you know, new recordings and tape recordings of histories, the verification and connections of work that has been recorded and that has been, you know, included in storytelling. So for me, the, you know, for some researchers and historians, the relationship finishes but for me, it doesn't. I, I don't think that I can just kind of walk away. The people and their stories are always in the back of my mind, informing, you know, future work and what I do, or what has worked well or what hasn't worked well. So the experiences kind of keep you informed, if you know what I mean. And maybe, maybe that metaphor of storytelling works so well there as well, right? Like in... Yeah you know, like with a lot of this, it's kind of about starting conversations potentially rather than finishing them. Like this book represents a tied up sort of neat project. Like, Oh yeah. I would never say that my work is representative of, of history or of a group's history. For me, it's a moment in time mm. and, I, and I, and I try and kind of really make that clear. It's some people's um, reflections of their life and memories of their life from a moment in time and two or three years down the track, you know, it might change. Mm. All those reflections and histories or ways, ways of describing might change and that's okay for me. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's such a like important dynamic sort of focus to have, I think. Something that I'm always fascinated in asking scholars, uh, I'm always interested in hearing about sort of the books or the ideas or the thinkers whose work has really strongly shaped researchers who are sort of working today, like you, like producing important new knowledge. So do you have any sort of favourites? What would be in your kind of reading list, I guess? Of ah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, my reading list is really diverse and... Um, I draw from everything, really. It's not a it's not a reading list. It's more like mm-hmm. a like a feel a spherical field of blogs and theatre and artists and musicians and you know 
all sorts of people who I, you know, riff off and love to read and see their work. But someone who I have really enjoyed reading is actually an anthropologist and her name is um, Deborah Bird Rose. Um, Yeah, and she has just sat with me, her knowledge has sat with me, I think, through my PhD and and as I continue to do my work and I really enjoy how she brings Indigenous and settler ways of knowing together, theory and culture together to tell a story and um, to tell history and anthropology and I enjoy her ethics, which is do no harm. And I think that's something that I do try to do and hold with me as I do my work. I've really enjoyed following Elizabeth Hovenelli's work. She's also an anthropologist and she kind of, a lot of her work focuses on the other or the otherwise and how we kind of imagine history of the otherwise or what else and what if and I I really enjoyed following her work especially she works across Australia and the US so her ideas have been so helpful for me to begin to build on my own and of course people like Peter Reed and Grace Cask and Gillian Collishall Australian historians and you know I could just sit and gaze at you know, um, artworks, you know, my favourite mm. artist is Emily Nangwari and I've, I, I find inspiration from people like mm. powerful women like Nakia Louie and listening to colleagues, Sana Nakata and her dad Martin, you know, just people who are engaging in real life and in history at the same time um, are really inspiring. My greatest influences are often the speak the people that I speak to and my cultural mentors who have guided me through my PhD. I find that most of the stories that I um, have listened to and have worked with and had the privilege to to be witness to are so incredible and humble that they stand outside other ways of knowing because they are so personal. So these are the people who have been brave enough to tell their stories to me and trust me to do the right thing with them. And in every sentence, in every tone of voice or body language, I'm inspired by them. Beautiful answer, thank you. And I I feel like I'm always particularly excited by that interface between sort of creative work and what we might think of as more formally sort of academic work. And so I love the idea that you're actually drawing, drawing on so many different sources together and that what you're doing is a creative act as well as, yeah, as a I don't, analytical sort of project, you know? Yeah. I, that's why I find it hard to describe myself as, as a historian because mm. 
maybe why it takes me so long to get my work out. But, yeah, I do imagine the process as being a creative process rather than just an analytical process Mm. as well. So (laughs) much the dismay of my supervisors. And other colleagues, but um, yes, it's it's definitely a creative process for me. History making is creative. Yeah. I'd be so mad if I couldn't have a little bit of creation in there. Yeah, look, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, as well as that, I mean, this might be a might be a tricky question as well. But would you have any advice for young scholars who are interested in sort of moving into doing more research? My advice would be. To keep your lightness and a dear friend once said to me, don't forget to look up. And she said to that to me when I had my head stuck in the books and I was feeling, you know, the pressure and feeling the weight of history, you know, mm. on, my, on my back. And she said, Jules, don't forget to look up. You know, there's beauty Look at the sky, there's beauty in the world. And that stayed with me for a really long time because I find like sometimes history can get you down and it takes a lot of, you have to work hard. It takes a Mm. lot of time and effort and patience. Mm. But if you can look up and find some beauty in some other areas of your life too and in the world, then it's much easier to sustain that energy that's beautiful. I think that's so important to bear in mind. I think maybe especially too, given the the passion that I think is quite necessary to doing good history research or good research more broadly, that can take a lot of yourself as well. And so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's very, I think, you know, especially as a, you know, a, as an Indigenous historian doing Indigenous history, sometimes, you know, you get stuck in the mud and it's really important to step out and to have something else to focus on and work with or other conversations and other things to do. Mm-hmm. So finally then as well, Julia, would you like to tell us a little bit about what you are teaching this semester and any plans for future teaching that you might have as well? Um, yes. Yeah, so this semester I'm teaching into Annie May's Controversies in Australian History which has been a riot um, because it's been my first foray into Zoom lecturing and I was so nervous and uh, really didn't know how and what I was doing. But at the same time, it was just really great to riff off Andy basically and kind of present a different viewpoint or, or another controversy on top of a controversy perhaps, which was has been really great and a welcoming into lecturing for the first time. And the other course that I've been teaching into has been Making History, also with Andy, Carla Pascoe and Catherine Kavici. And that's just been a wild ride of working with students on their capstone projects in the storytelling workshop. And I hope that they've felt supported, you know, via Zoom. It's been tough for them, I think, but they, um, they've been a great bunch of students and we've had a few laughs and, you know, discovered different ways of storytelling perhaps than what they might have already known or, or thought of. 
And next year, I'm teaching um, an introduction to Indigenous history, which will be a new course. And that's going to focus on Charles Perkins' oral history tapes recorded by Peter Reed. And then I'm also teaching Global Histories of Indigenous Activism, mm. which I'm really looking forward to. So I'm picking that up from Kat Allinghouse. And, you know, in today's climate and what's going on with the Black Lives Matter protests, I'm hopeful that it will be welcomed and oh, yeah. um, we'll have some really great discussions and histories. Julia, it's been fantastic to get to know you a little bit more this morning. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you, Henry. So on behalf of the School of Historical and Philosophical Studies, I'd love to extend a warm welcome to Dr. Julia Hurst, lecturer in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander histories at the university. As always, thanks for listening to the SHAPS Forum podcast and see you next time. This podcast was produced by the School of Historical and Philosophical Studies at the University of Melbourne. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which our university operates. Lands of the Kulin peoples, which includes the Wurundjeri, Bunurong, Wadharong, Jajawarong and Tongarong peoples, as well as the Yorta Yorta Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty over these lands was never ceded. <laughs>